Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. I think coming out of this, one of the disruptions will be what we go to a physical store for versus what we continue to buy online. What's going to be interesting about the physical stores is just how do we deliver an experience that is worth leaving your house for. You probably weren't expecting to deal with Martians in the world of e-commerce, but that's probably only because you're not familiar with the Mars Agency. For those not in the know, the Mars Agency is an independent agency that combines the best of technology with the best of human intelligence to provide solutions to businesses throughout the world of retail and e-commerce. And one of the Martians who leads the charge at Mars is Amy Andrews, the SVP of Business Development and E-Commerce. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Amy walked us through all the trends she's been seeing in the e-commerce industry, including the changing consumer behavior, the rise of omni-channel experiences, and why companies that can crack the code of using voice plus video technology could see a huge payoff. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is Stephanie Postles, co-founder of Mission.org and your host of this lovely podcast. Today, we're joined by Amy Andrews, SVP of Business Development and E-Commerce at the Mars Agency. Amy, how are you? I'm doing well, Stephanie. How are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, as great as can be. Right. So uh, when I heard of the Mars Agency, I saw that you called either, was it your customers or your employees Martians? We call our employees Martians, very lovingly. (laughs) Oh, man, I love that. I was trying to think of a name I wanted to give our employees, but nothing comes close to that. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about the Mars Agency and how all that came about. Sure. So the Mars Agency has been around for over 45 years, um, started by uh, an amazing woman, Marilyn Barnett. And really, our focus has been on marketing to shoppers over that last almost half a century. And Marilyn was really a a pioneer in the space. She used to be when she started kind of the grocery store model who would, you know, hold the box of laundry detergent as people walked by. Wow. And really just, yeah. um, And talk about kind of women in business. Um, You know, she was just such an interesting leader and saw that as a marketing opportunity for brands at retail and started the Mars Agency. And we have a long history in shopper marketing. And shopper marketing is really just marketing to shoppers. So that has evolved and how people shop has evolved. Um, We followed them and and led them to all those different places. Got it. So are you working with large brands to kind of teach them the trends in the industry and how to, you know, market to, like you said, the shoppers? Is that how to think about the Mars Agency? Yep. Uh, we work with a lot of large uh, consumer packaged good clients. Um, so 
like Campbell's Soup, Nestle Waters, several others across top retailers. So Walmart, Target, um, and for me in the e-commerce space, um, Amazon is definitely a huge player. Very cool. And what does your day-to-day look like there? What does your role look like? So I lead our e-commerce team, which I mentioned some of the retailers, uh, but we really work across all e-commerce retailers and uh, digital platforms. If you think about things that some of you probably use more recently than others, like uh, Instacart and other um, delivery services, yes, we help uh, brands market to their shoppers uh, in those spaces and really anywhere that you can you know, buy a product online, which used to be, um, you know, physical stores who had converted online or your kind of Amazon pure play retailers. Um, and now, uh, as I'm sure you've experienced, Stephanie, like there's a lot of different options to buy online. You know, as you're scrolling through your Instagram, you can shop now and, you know, kind of always be almost we're moving towards kind of one click away from um, a purchase in any environment. So, that's really what my team focuses on for our clients. How do we help them market and ultimately sell more online? Got it. Has everything with COVID-19 kind of adjusted your strategy of what you're advising your clients to do or what kind of shifts have you made when it comes to that advisory role? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think we have seen a lot of data as this, you know, sadly continues for us, but it has definitely had a, a huge impact on the e-commerce space, particularly for grocery, um, since a lot of our clients are those CPG packaged good clients. You know, we've seen online grocery projections in the last couple of weeks reach what we thought they would be in 2025. Wow. Um, so there's been, yeah, huge, huge growth in this space and a lot of new users to this space. So, you know, we know that's out of necessity. Um, but again, as this kind of continues, we think that a lot of those people, you know, like 60% of people tried a delivery service for the first time in the last six weeks. That's a ton of new people who are buying groceries online. And yeah, there's been a lot of negative experiences, as I'm sure you've had with not being able to find what you want or having a slow delivery time. Yep. Being out of stock of my favorite matcha tea. Out of stock. Yes. <laughs> Tea's a, a little bit easier to deal with than toilet yeah. paper. but Yes, um, I guess. <laughs> I guess it depends on where you are on both yeah. with your supply. But um, no, we've had a, yeah, a lot of people are having to make different choices and, and having to try things. But um, as this continues, I think people are forming new habits and even new preferences. So it's definitely influencing how we're advising our clients and where they should invest. I think what's also interesting is because of a lot of those issues, a lot of our clients and a lot of retailers have just put their marketing on pause to make sure that they can get things in stock um, and for retailers, you know, to make sure that they're not price gouging um, or kind of promoting things in the wrong way that would send the wrong message. So I think it'll be interesting long-term as, you know, some retailers and brands kind of catch up And, you know, once they have products in stock, um, once, you know, even Amazon this week has fixed some of their Amazon fresh delivery issues, as those things start getting worked out, I think there'll be a lot more interesting marketing opportunities, especially as you think about all those new users, either to a retailer or to a brand. I don't know if you bought a different tea brand um, when you couldn't find yours. I did. I did. Yeah. And I, a lot of people are having that experience, right? So then it's like, how does that new brand try and keep you? Mm-hmm. And then how does your old brand try and get you back? 
So we're definitely working uh, with our clients on all of those types of questions. Got it. Do you think clients should be turning off their marketing budgets? As you mentioned, a lot of them are doing that right now. Do you think that's a good strategy or should they still be maybe thinking of ways to experiment because this is a whole new world? It might be actually a good opportunity to kind of experiment a bit without offending people if possible. Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, I think it it is a bit of both. Um, I think initially, you know, not just marketing, but a lot of businesses and industries just kind of pause to figure out and make sense of of what was going on and and determine what they should do next. And I think that was, you know, probably a a smart move at the time, um, just to not make any rash decisions. But we're definitely partnering with our clients now on what is the right way to market. Um, I think one of the the trends that we'll see is probably a lot more regional and geographic differences. Mm-hmm. Like we in the Bay Area um, are still sheltering in place for another month. So online shopping here will be very different um, than other states that are opening up. And, you know, marketing to, to those people might be very appropriate now. Um, and I would definitely you know, recommend um, testing and trying things in that space. So I think it's going to have to be a combination. Yeah, completely agree. Do you see the companies you work with coming to you with similar struggles, like other themes that you're hearing and any advice around some of those struggles that they're experiencing? Yeah, I think a lot of the the marketing struggles are just, um, you know, some of the, the struggles on a more macro level of just the unknown, uh, especially in terms of timing and, and how long it will continue. And then we kind of have the, some of the same issues in terms of data. You know, there's so much out there. Like when you turn on the news, you see so many different stories and different points. Sometimes it's kind of hard to determine what are the right guidelines or what are the right, what's the right data that you should follow. So we're really treating this as an ongoing conversation with our clients. And it, you know, does differ by geography. It does differ by category or industry. So I think taking a really custom approach and being able to adapt now and have a strategy where you're also able to easily adapt moving forward is going to be really important. Uh, We typically do annual planning with our brands. um, And we've already been talking, you know, we're already in the stages of replanning, but I think replanning will be something we do all year now. Um, I don't think it's kind of the pre-COVID plan and the post-COVID plan. Um, I think it's going to be continuing to adapt. And the brands and retailers that are able to evolve in that way are probably going to be the most successful. Yeah, completely agree. It seems like a good time to kind of pivot in certain areas, cut projects that aren't, you know, maybe as necessary and thinking in a completely new light based on everything that's happening. What kind of things do you see being cut or changes being made in these replanning sessions at these companies? I mean, the big question now, which, you know, the Mars agency is is tackling with our clients is what might come back in store and what might not in terms of marketing and planning around that. There's the kind of legal or even not legal, but kind of the official uh, guidelines or restrictions side of things um, in terms of how people shop and how many people can enter the store at what time. But then I think there's also a very real, you know, consumer behavior piece of it. So, you know, one thing that has happened in stores and that a lot of our brands being food brands, um, we've done is, you know, things around sampling and trying new products. And, you know, whether that's a cooked piece of food outside of a wrapper or a, you know, sealed up new product, I think in both of those cases, I don't know if 
you know, for myself. And if I think about other shoppers, I don't know how eager we're going to be to, you know, take either one of those samples now. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to rethink things like that, that have been really, you know, traditional vehicles to encourage trial. How do we think about that in a new way? Either if that's a, you know, a replan in terms of, you know, what do we do with those dollars and invest them in something else? Or what I think is maybe more creative and exciting is, how do we think about sampling in a new way? Or how do we think about demos in a new way? And that's where we really see the in-store and the e-com world kind of colliding and really creating some of these like omni-channel um, is the word that we use a lot. Yeah. Omni-channel experiences so that we are moving towards that anyway. And I think COVID has been an interesting tipping point to, as you said, kind of pivot and think about these things and push ourselves to think about them even more differently now to deliver the best shopper experience. Yeah, it seems like it could be with everything bad that happened, maybe a good forcing function to kind of push some brands into the e-commerce world who maybe weren't fully utilizing it before or not at all. Do you see them being able to adapt to some of these changes that you're recommending them or being able to, you know, shift something that they've always been focused on selling in store, always focused on someone having that in-person experience like you said whether it's a sample, a demo, uh, have you seen them be able to pivot onto e-commerce or being open to that or even having the technology to do it? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty optimistic. So I think, yes, I think all brands um, can do this and adapt and, and pivot and, and do so, you know, relatively easily. I think that was a, a big question before all of this and the crisis was just how quickly should each brand based on their category be moving into this space and you know, a lot of brands were over-investing in e-commerce because they felt that that was going to be the future. So they're a bit of a step ahead. And that doesn't mean that other brands can't catch up. But um, I think COVID has just been a kind of internal tipping point for a lot of organizations to think about how they're treating e-commerce and maybe prioritizing it a little bit differently. So yeah, for brands or companies who weren't thinking about it before, I would definitely say now is the time. And because the the whole industry and the whole world is really shaken up, it's a great time to think about, you know, how you're treating e-commerce differently. um, And then within the e-commerce space, what we can be doing differently there as well. Got it. Is there anyone that you ever uh, look to in the industry where you maybe point your clients in that direction of being like, hey, here's an industry leader when it comes to, you know, the checkout experience or the shopping experience or the unboxing or anything like that? Anyone that you guys kind of look to as like a leader in the space? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there are a lot of examples of brands or retailers doing, I would say, pieces of the puzzle really well. The one that comes to mind for me of someone who is creating a a really holistic best-in-class experience is actually a retailer. Uh, I think IKEA does a phenomenal job in the space in terms of just digital experiences. They have different digital technologies and apps and platforms and AI and all of that that is really just helping recreate the experience of going to an enormous, huge, physical retail destination. I mean, I can't think of a more traditional shopping experience than kind of browsing through those huge displays in Ikea. Yeah, so many (laughs) levels, at least here in Palo Alto. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And think of like a huge retail footprint that they've had to translate into a digital experience. Mm -hmm. You know, there's one now where, you know, instead of Ikea saying, what's the best, you know, dot com site or 
a digital catalog, they are thinking, what's the best shopping experience? And now you can, as a shopper, walk through an IKEA store through virtual reality and pick different products and then also using AI, see them in your own bedroom. Um, so I think oh, they've wow. just done That's a great awesome. job. Yeah. And I think they've just done a great job of thinking about it a little bit differently and kind of, you know, doing it in a fun way that that's the biggest piece, um, you know, for myself as a shopper as well, that's sometimes missing from the online shopping experience. You know, it's so convenient um, and there's so many wonderful, wonderful benefits that come along with that, but you do lose kind of the fun of shopping and browsing around. And I think Ikea has done a nice job of bringing some of that physical experience in a fun, very branded Ikea way uh, to their shoppers digitally. Yeah, completely agree. I think sometimes people forget that it's not just, you know, shopping and trying to buy the thing, but really like when I go to Ikea, it's my day. Like I, it's a whole experience. I'm ready. I'm prepared. I've had my (laughs) snack and I'm ready to like go through every single, you know, uh, setup area to like look at their bedroom and see how they set it up and look at this living room setup. And yeah, incorporating VR into that shows that they know exactly why their customers, at least customers like me come there is to be able to experience it like I'm actually there. So yeah, that's great. Are you advising other companies to kind of not only think that way, but maybe moving into technologies like that, that they weren't utilizing before, whether it's VR or AR or any of that kind of stuff? Um, Yes. And I would say just even more broadly, you know, we're advising our clients and working with a lot of our clients right now on how do we create the best digital content that's going to be relevant for an e-commerce shopping experience. So Yes, that could be an amazing VR IKEA type experience, or that could be a, you know, six second video on a product page that tells you exactly what you need to know about the benefits of this new water that you're drinking. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about, you know, what's right for those different brands and then having that content strategy that then dictates what technology you might need to use to deliver it. Got it. Yeah, I definitely see that shift of a lot of companies, brands turning into kind of their own media companies when it comes to producing their content and focusing heavier on that and not just on a paid strategy where maybe that's been, you know, how it's been for a couple of years. Yeah. And I think we're also seeing brands hopefully using technology to deliver experience instead of just kind of using or testing, you know, technology for technology's sake or to have something Mm -hmm. new. So, you know, that used to be QR codes and then maybe some AR that just, you know, is just kind of there for the fun, cool factor. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, in some cases, it's kind of fun. Um, but I think if you're just doing it for the tech sake and it doesn't deliver um, a consumer or shopper benefit, it's really a fad and kind of dies quickly. So we're always trying to think about, you know, what's the need first and then like what can we use to deliver against that? Yeah, it's good to flip that mindset when it comes to that because, yeah, I can think of especially QR codes. That's a good example. I've seen random places. It's on there like a cereal box or something that delivers no value. And I don't actually want to even see what's behind that QR code. It seems like it was just placed there because everyone was doing it. So definitely a fad. Right. You've someone told that marketer, you need a QR code. and (laughs) They checked that box. They did it. Yeah. (laughs) Have you, um, when it comes to content, I know a lot of brands right now, uh, like you said, are focused on that and trying to make sure they get, of course, new customers in that vertical and also make sure they put out great content. Have you seen any best practices with your clients around, like, like you said, you know, short product videos seem to really increase conversions where, you know, 
like uh, something on YouTube, if you've never been on YouTube, maybe isn't the best way to go. Is there any themes around that? Yeah, um, I would say generally, we always start with what's going to be, you know, the right message for the type of media or for the type of tactics. So, you know, you mentioned YouTube, um, you know, that's obviously a very different format than say, uh, Pinterest, who's also, you know, having quite a moment um, with everyone at home looking for inspiration yeah. and recipes and all of that. Obviously, the, the type of content we would uh, develop for that would be, you know, very relevant to our brands, but also relevant to that platform and what we know people are looking for there. You know, I think we're definitely moving towards kind of more bite-sized or, or smaller content formats in general. So definitely, mm-hmm. you know, short format. We always give the example of, you know, you don't want to have your 30-second or 67, 60-second, excuse me, um, TV spot and just, you know, use that everywhere um, on your e-commerce sites or on your digital media more broadly. You know, we want to be tailoring it for the environment. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that we're trying to do a lot more of now in in terms of um, a trend is how are we leveraging influencer and user-generated content in a new way? So Mm -hmm. if we talk about relevancy, especially in the e-com world where, you know, reviews are so important and, you know, as a new mom, you might go on and you're trusting the reviews of, you know, a stroller, a really important product for your baby more than you trust, you know, advice from your own parent or from your mom peer group even, right? So it plays a ton of influence on that, especially in the e-com space. So thinking about how we merge e-commerce and influencers has been really interesting. And we've been working with our clients on taking influencer content, you know, from a particular shopper since we're in that space. So how do you leverage Walmart influencer content on walmart.com and Amazon influencer content on that, their site? And in doing so, you create, you know, an even more relevant experience for the shopper um, because not only do they have, you know, those product details and reviews, but you've kind of put all that influencer content in one place um, so they can have more ideas on how to use your products or just more relevant um, images and messages based on people like them. Yeah, that completely makes sense. I wonder if right now with how the market is, if it'll kind of give the wrong signals to companies, like maybe, you know, you have all these people at home. So UGC content is very easy to get right now. Uh, You have people maybe at home who actually want the longer podcasts and the longer clips. Whereas after all this starts to calm down, I wonder if it'll be hard for brands to kind of pivot again, if all that reverses. And, you know, all of a sudden, there's not many consumers who want to create content for free anymore and long reviews and people want those shorter clips like you talked about. Do you see any problems coming up by brands acting too quickly right now to kind of pivot to what the environment is now to then it, you know, reversing maybe again in a month or six months? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. And that's why I think I kind of mentioned earlier, we're, we're taking a proactive, but kind of cautious approach. So you know, one thing we did for one of our brands was, you know, we just went on immediately and pulled all content that I don't want to say offensive, uh, because that's almost too strong of a word, but pulled all content that wasn't, you know, culturally sensitive. Uh, for example, a group of people in a home that was more than 10 people. Got it. We went in and took all of that content down, um, you know, just to make sure we were being sensitive and we were also being relevant, even if someone wasn't, you know, particularly upset about it. And maybe they had no thought on it, but we want to make sure we're giving them, you know, the most relevant message of how our brand can be used in their lives. So I think that, you know, it is going to be an evolution. It's going to be really interesting to see 
kind of what behaviors stick. You know, I think bread makers was one of the top terms searched on Amazon the last several weeks. Um, I wonder if we're going to get burnt out on making bread anytime soon. Um, that does sound delightful, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I don't know how long that trend will last right. because my mother-in-law makes bread and man, is it a process? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe she needs a bread maker. <laughs> I know she does. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how much of those are kind of the, you know, COVID trends that then people get sick of it or people want to, I'm not sure, maybe people will want to race back to the stores. Like you said, it'll be maybe really exciting when an Ikea opens and uh, you can go back in and browse around and get your meatballs and all that. Um, But I'm thinking (laughs) people are going to do that in a a different way. And I think that, you know, we're going to have to continue to evolve. So that's what I mentioned about the the kind of planning. Like I I think annual planning is dead. I think we're going to be planning over and over again. If that's, you know, monthly, if we can get kind of more on a routine or maybe that's just, continuous as things change and, um, you know, as the news changes. Yep. Completely agree. So the Mars agency has been around for almost 50 years, I think. How does the company and the Martians at the company recognize trends and then act on it quick enough to help your clients? Yeah, I think, um, I I honestly think that's why we have been able to be around so long. Um, you know, in the marketing and advertising world. Um, you know, we're one of the few independents who's left. Uh, we're still family run. Uh, the company is now run by Marilyn's son, um, Ken Barnett. And I think that having that independence and having really just a lot of still that entrepreneurial spirit has allowed us to really adapt as the industry has adapted, and in most cases kind of stay one step ahead. We talk a lot about our Martians, as you said, um, and really think that there's a balance between, you know, our people and our technology. So, you know, over the years, we, of course, as you know, most industries have invested more in technology and data and all of that. Uh, we've also really balanced that with our Martians and having what we say is the latest technology and the smartest humanity. Um, I think some companies, especially in the e-commerce space, um, because there's so much data there, and so many different tech platforms. I think if you go too far um, in that direction, well, one, there can just be kind of a a data overload um, and you're not able to find the insights and all the data. Mm -hmm. But two, I think you just lose a lot of that humanity and kind of that person who we like to be who's saying, well, why is that the case? And what does that data point mean? And kind of taking it that step deeper Um, so that we can really understand what the human behavior is, because I think that's where you have the best marketing ideas that really resonate with people um, instead of just kind of trying to attack a data point. Yeah, completely agree. Are there certain metrics or data points that you've seen many brands use that you're like, eh, you guys are all using this, but it actually doesn't really tell you much. Instead, maybe you should look at this instead. Well, because we're we're focused on shopper marketing and conversion, I mean, our ultimate data point is always sales. So we're always looking at, you know, how many products were we able to sell as a result. Along with that, though, you know, you obviously want to understand what other impact you might have had on engagement or, you know, in some cases, you know, if there are other circumstances that are affecting sales that are out of our control. Um, you know, we, of course, want to measure all of the other media metrics as well. I think to answer your question on, you know, are there certain metrics that brands are looking at that they shouldn't? I don't know if I would say you shouldn't look at this, but I think a lot of brands are placing a disproportionate kind of weight 
in the e-commerce space on their ROAS or their return on the ad spend. Mm -hmm. And there's just some interesting, there's some ways that you can get a, a very high ROAS and that a lot of media companies or retailers will say you had a very high ROAS. And it's typically because you are reaching people who would have purchased anyway. Got it. So I think that that's one where, you know, it does beg the question of sometimes having a person or maybe a, a smarter data set that's kind of suggesting, you know, why is that the case and digging a little bit deeper to understand the why behind that metric. Yeah, that seems like an easy way for someone to be like, hey, look how great this ad's doing when you're like, uh, all those people were already previous customers. So yes, if you're targeting past purchasers, um, you can typically get a, a pretty high ROAS. So yeah, that's pretty funny. Are there any new emerging technologies that you're advising marketers to look at or other like e-commerce platforms that you're telling people to check out? Um, I don't know if I would say this is an emerging technology, but just in light of all of the changes around COVID, I would say looking more at new delivery platforms or channels. Um, and this is something that, you know, we're just having early conversations with our clients on now, but um, there are a lot of what used to be in the world of retail, relatively niche players. You know, you see a lot of those platforms having really explosive growth now, kind of during this COVID period. So it'll be interesting to see how that behavior might change over time. I think we're also seeing some really interesting partnerships. So you can have your 7-Eleven order delivered by DoorDash, or you can make a reservation to shop at a local store on OpenTable. Mm -hmm. Again, those aren't new technologies, but I think it's kind of new platforms and new channels that will be really interesting to, you know, test and learn as we go, as you're suggesting. Um, and then also um, as things hopefully at some point kind of start to normalize. Yeah. Well, and then how do you think about, I saw on your website um, that you were talking about getting the most out of voice technology and how to conquer Amazon. I know voice technology, it feels like it's been trying to, like, it's been on like the up and up for a while and no one's really cracked it. Even when I was at Google, it still felt like they couldn't crack it. How do you think about incorporating that into what your clients are doing? And same with Amazon as well. Yeah, that's a great question. And um, you nailed it. I think uh, it has been growing. We have an e-commerce team that, um, dedicated voice specialist um, who has a background in user experience. And similarly, I think we've had tons of great conversations around voice. We've seen tons of great data um, in terms of how uh, it's growing, but I don't think we've reached the tipping point yet of voice shopping. Mm -hmm. I think it's still, um, you know, some of the data and it'll be interesting again to see kind of how this being at home more might change that. But, you know, there. There's definitely different behaviors that have grown with voice more than shopping has. We're still um, actively pursuing and exploring that with our clients. Mars is the preferred Alexa developer. We also uh, work with Google Voice, as you mentioned. But I think it just comes back to, you know, really the foundation of what we do, which is how can we create better shopper experiences? Um, and voice definitely has the technology to do that. I think it's just about the adoption, um, especially in the shopping space. So to date, we've worked with our clients on creating skills that can be you know, useful to shoppers based on their different categories. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to maybe see how COVID changes the voice space as well. 
Yeah, I could see that becoming useful, especially as like the catalogs get bigger of what the brands are putting on their e-commerce sites. It'll be easier if you're able just to tell the website, like, I want to find this instead of having to go through the whole, you know, catalog and try and find exactly what you want. And it probably growing by 50% from the time you were there maybe two months ago, if they can crack getting the voice technology to actually work and be seamless and not an extra step. Yeah. And then I think um, another thing that'll be interesting now is just, you know, even I even have to remind myself as we're talking, because typically we, we think voice and we think, you know, speaking into um, the speaker, but with the combination of, you know, voice and video, um, plus people being at home and maybe wanting more, you know, we know there's been a huge surge in recipe searches, for example. Um, I think having, mm-hmm. you know, the voice plus visual um, is a different way that brands should be thinking about voice now um, and something that we're working with some of our clients on. Yeah, completely agree. And what about the conquering Amazon piece? I'm (laughs) only thinking about how that maybe has like shifted a lot, especially lately because of everything Amazon is doing of like, you know, only surfacing maybe essential things and changing shipping times and maybe kind of burying certain retailers if they didn't view them as essential. I could see a lot of people kind of getting scared about relying on Amazon as their platform to sell from and maybe moving away from that and trying to build their own e-commerce store on their own and just do their own thing. Do you see that kind of happening or what are your thoughts around Amazon? Yeah, I mean, Amazon could probably be a, a whole nother um, topic or hour. But, a whole podcast um, on him. Exactly. I'm sure there's millions. But I think in terms of, you know, we, we've been really digging into, you know, what has this last six or so weeks meant and where have we seen new growth? Walmart.com in March was the number one downloaded app in the grocery space and surpassed Amazon for the first time. So, you know, it's interesting to kind of see all these stats and you think, oh, maybe Amazon isn't as important. Amazon just still dominates um, the e-commerce space, uh, which is why you mentioned we have it on our website. Um, I would say even, you know, as of two months ago, people were using Amazon and e-com interchangeably almost. Mm -hmm. So it's great and it's exciting to see that and as we have always advised our clients, you know, we should think about this holistically across the space and across all different retailer.coms and delivery platforms, like your e-commerce strategy should be comprehensive, but I don't see Amazon ever not being a component of that, at least not in the near future. There are a lot of issues now um, from a user experience, from a shopping experience, also, as you mentioned, um, you know, with brands and maybe being deprioritized for essentials or not being, not being able to market in the way that they had been able to before. But it still really is the lion's share. It's still seeing the most growth during this time period. I don't think it's a place that brands can afford not to be, you know, with the exception of maybe a, a couple of the really big ones. But I think the idea of, you know, trying to tackle e-commerce without Amazon or without having a strategy around Amazon. And there's, a, by the way, a bunch of different ways that you can do that. It definitely doesn't have to be every brand's number one e-commerce retailer, but I think it probably has to be part of the strategy um, just because of the number of shoppers um, that are using that as their primary e-commerce um, destination. Yeah, agree. So earlier we were talking about brands creating content. How do you think about the intersection or what do you advise your clients when it comes to the intersection of content management system, their commerce platform, and their CRM? How do you see that working in their space or any best practices around that or advice? Yeah, I think 
One is to be thinking about, you know, the, the total experiences we've been talking about and, and making sure that, you know, no matter what agencies or, um, you know, in our case, we're oftentimes working with a lot of um, other agencies, um, either at different parts of the funnel or that the brand is working with for different pieces of their advertising. A lot of our clients are are large enough that they're hiring multiple agencies. So I think it's, you know, having you know, IETs and planning processes that are very integrated and, and making sure you're connecting all of the different partners so that you can leverage all the different content and all the different wonderful assets. In terms of, you know, what should the, the content strategy be? I think it comes back to what's going to be best and what's going to be needed and relevant for the shopper in that environment. So we're really working with our brands in the e-commerce space on how are you creating e-com content that typically doesn't always exist in other brand channels. So, you know, how are you creating content for your product pages with information that people need to know when they're at that point of buying you versus buying a competitor? Uh, If you don't have that right content, let's create it. We help our clients map that out on, you know, what's needed in terms of assets and videos and enhanced content and all of that. And then really track that over time to make sure that we're constantly optimizing it. We have a new technology, um, an eShelf Maximizer tool that uses data to look across different websites and identify across thousands of SKUs for a lot of our brands, you know, what product pages might have some issues or some areas of opportunity, and then we can fix those right away. And with the retailers constantly changing their algorithms and uh, limitations and all of that. This is kind of a huge pain point for our brands. So even though we'll, we'll optimize content as brands change their packaging or new products launch, um, there's kind of continually issues and continually opportunities to optimize. So we're using technology to make sure that we can stay ahead of that and be really proactive for our brands. Got it. Do you see them being able to kind of manage that in a way that stays organized? Because I kind of view, you know, a lot of brands having like their content management is one silo and their CRMs another one and their commerce platforms another one. It doesn't seem like they've been able to integrate like, well, here's how our content is affecting, you know, our customers and actual conversions. Do you see that kind of shifting now or are a lot of your brands already ahead and they're already kind of all intertwined and they got it? Oh, I wish that was the case. Um, <laughs> I think we have silos within the Mars agency. I think most companies have silos. I think most of our clients uh, would say that they have silos within their companies as well. You know, unfortunately, I think that is a reality. Uh, so I don't want to gloss over that picture too much. I, I think it's about how do you look for ways to work and collaborate um, across those silos for more of a common goal. So I think e-com has been a silo for a lot of brands to date. Mm-hmm. You know, we've kind of siloed it off and said, let's deal with that separately because we don't quite know what to do with it. Or maybe it's still a little bit too new for our brand or our company. And this is really a moment when I think we can be integrating it in. We certainly have done that at Mars. Um, our team is now integrated in with our customer development team. So when we're working on a Walmart plan, it's not the Walmart in-store plan and the walmart.com plan, you know, we're, we're all one team. Um, so I think hopefully, um, you know, that would be an outcome of that this time period is kind of breaking down some of the e-commerce silos 
But I think, uh, as you pointed out, there's definitely still an opportunity for, I would say, most brands to kind of better connect. I think content and e-com are coming together much more naturally. I think CRM is still a piece that we could, as an industry, probably you know better connect to some of the other pieces. Yep, completely agree. Have you seen, like, what do you think the first step is to that digital transformation? Or have you seen a company really do it well? Is it like start from scratch, throw everything away and start over? Or like, how have you seen that work? I think that most companies have kind of, that we've worked with, have kind of taken e-com out and brought it back in or taken the digital team out and brought it back in. And I think that's actually an okay approach in terms of, especially where you are with your company's growth in this space. You know, so I'm kind of half joking that that e-com has been a silo, but in a way that's been necessary for some companies because as e-commerce has grown, it typically starts off, you know, as an add-on within a current team. Mm -hmm. And then as it grows, it kind of gets its own silo or its own little team on the side. And then as they get big enough, they come back into the integrated team, typically the marketing team, or in some cases, the sales team. And I think that that makes sense because as the space grows for different clients, it needs different resources. I think a lot of companies are going to be fast tracking that now. So they might skip that step of, of having the separate e-commerce team and just automatically integrate it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think that could be beneficial to, instead of kind of separating it or starting from scratch, you know, just integrating in from the team um, from the beginning. Yeah, that makes sense. That sounds like good advice. So do you see any disruptions coming to commerce? Like one thing I've been paying close attention to or reading up a bit is about these pop-up retail stores. And I think maybe that could be a trend that, you know, a lot of retail stores are closing down right now and people might be scared to actually set up locations for, you know, 10-year leases after all this dies down. So I'm wondering how maybe that could influence, you know, the future of retail and e-commerce. Do you see any disruptions like that that yeah is on the horizon that you guys are looking into when it comes to e-commerce? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's going to continue to be a, a lot of disruptions, probably a, a fast tracking of what would have happened anyway. Um, so, you know, some, as we've seen in the last several years, some really established big box retailers have closed down or shut several of their locations because that huge size of space um, didn't make sense anymore. And to your point, that frees up space for other types of retailer formats. I think coming out of this that, you know, one of the disruptions will be what we go to a physical store for versus what we continue to buy online. So I think there's going to be a lot of differences in those categories and even in subcategories, you know, within that. I think, you know, what's going to be interesting about the physical stores is just how do we deliver an experience in those stores that, you know, is worth kind of leaving your house for. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the best retailers and some of the best brands have been talking about that for years, right? How do we create a physical experience of our brand? You know, if you think of like the flagship stores, like that's meant to be bringing the brand to life and delivering on that experience. And then you think of retailers who have been, you know, improving their in-store experience to get people to browse other categories or browse other sections. I think a lot of that was a trend that will now really be pushed and challenged and fast-tracked as we think about what that physical space means to a shopper. So, you know, pop-ups, as you mentioned, 
were great because they were delivering a different experience. And that was, you know, a reason to go, you know, see something new or maybe see something that you could only buy there. Um, I think exclusives will probably continue and be played around with in a new way in terms of what's exclusive online versus in store. But I think it's a little early to tell um, what disruptions are going to continue and how people are going to use those physical spaces. I mentioned it earlier, but I could also see there being a big difference in geographies. You know, the coasts have always been a little different anyway, but I could see the, the retail experience on the coasts being a little bit slower to change at first and then probably having more disruptions in the end. Yeah, completely agree. I can see also when they start streamlining the return process, I've already started to see that at least with Amazon, where it's like, you don't even have to bring a box now or anything, just bring the good back there. Once that starts feeling easier, it seems like a lot of things could shift because to me, that's been the biggest hang up of ordering things online and, you know, not knowing how to really return it and not knowing if I'm going to feel like doing it and keeping the box and printing out the label and all that stuff. It seems like that could be a big shift too. And it's kind of already been forced that way over the past couple months. Yeah, no, that's a great example of now people are having to get creative in in how they do things, both retailers and shoppers. Um, And also just as you try things and get used to it, you know, you might realize that the return process wasn't as bad as you thought, or the delivery window that your groceries came was actually more convenient than what you'd wanted before. So Mm -hmm. I think some of those habits are going to change, which is always interesting to see um, because now we're still in kind of the survey phase of what do you predict that you're going to do or will you use this service again? And it's always interesting, of course, to see uh, what people say versus what they actually do. Um, And I think just over time, as as we all keep doing this, we could say we hate it and it's a pain. Um, But some of that, we're going to be adopting those new habits um, that will stick with us in the longer term. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to see what actually comes from that. So before we move into our lightning round, is there any other uh, thoughts you have for e-commerce leaders or trends or anything else you want to highlight? Um, no, I think you covered it. I mean, I think this is just such a an interesting time for the e-commerce space that, you know, if you talk to someone else next week, they might say something different. Um, and that's what's kind of exciting about it is is watching how quickly it's changing and just really being able to adapt quickly to stay relevant. Yeah, that's why this podcast is so fun. All right, so the lightning round brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where you answer each question in a minute or less. So you have a minute, you don't have to rush too much, um, but it's kind of whatever comes top of mind. Sound good? Great. All right, I'll start with the easier ones first and then move to the harder one towards the end. What's up next on your Netflix queue? Oh, this is a lightning round. <laughs> um, let's see. When your eight-month-old and three-year-old aren't hanging on you. Exactly. I have to like move into my adult entertainment mode, which also doesn't sound like the right <laughs> phrase to use. So that shows that I've been watching a lot of cartoons lately. No more Daniel Tiger for you. I know. I'm just glad that I can get off Disney Plus and over to Netflix. Yes. We are big fans of Nailed It um, and with the at-home baking I know I'm a season behind on Nailed It, so I need to get caught up on that. Cool. What's up next in your travel destinations after the pandemic is over? Uh, we were supposed to go to Vienna for my husband's 40th. So hopefully wow. we can get that back on the agenda. But next week, I'm going to be uh, driving from uh, the Bay Area to Aspen to see my new niece. So, Oh, fun. It'll be a road trip. That sounds awesome. Yeah. 
What is the best shopping experience that comes to mind that you've had lately other than being in a store? Yes, I have not been in a store lately, nor had a, a good experience in a store lately. Well, uh, just this week was the first time that I could get an Amazon Fresh order, and I'm a pretty heavy user, so they have had a lot of issues. So I was really excited this morning at 7 a.m. when my Amazon Fresh order arrived. Yeah, that's game-changing. I love seeing them come up and deliver it. I'm like, ah, this is nice not having to do it. Yes. (laughs) What was the last thing you bought from an ad, if you remember? Oh, the last thing I bought from an ad that wasn't one of my client's products. <laughs> yes. Yep. That wasn't one of your client's um, products and yes, that you're testing out. That I was actually buying as a consumer. Let's see. I bought some Hannah Anderson Star Wars pajamas recently for my three-year-old. Um, they're very cute and available now. And actually they did arrive quite quickly. So I would recommend that for the... That's a good brand for PJs. <laughs> yes. For the toddler PJs, they're great. Yep. I know all about that. <laughs> all right. And the hard one, What's up next for e-commerce pros? Oh, that's a big switch from PJs. Mm-hmm, um, <laughs> I know. That's why I saved it for last. <laughs> yeah, I think that e-commerce pros are going to have much higher regard um, in their own industries and have a lot more influence. So hopefully what's next for them um, is being able to kind of take a greater role in that brand and marketing experience across retailers. I know we've talked a lot about Amazon, but I think it's, you know, how do we integrate e-commerce into everything that we're doing? And that should be really exciting for the e-com pros. Cool. Love it. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Amy. This has been fun. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.